0: This podcast is intended for entertainment and opinion. Nothing discussed is meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, please call 988 or use the resources listed in the episode description. To see the sources and other resources mentioned in this episode, you can visit psychologicallymindedpod.com. To contact me with any questions or comments about this topic or upcoming topics, email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com. And finally, please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to get new episodes as they post. Enjoy this episode! Hello, and welcome to Psychologically Minded. I'm your host, Grace Fowler, and today's mini-episode is about the famous doll study experiment done by Mamie Phipps-Clark and Kenneth Bancroft-Clark. Now, I wanted to do this experiment in the month of February because it has a lot to do with um, racial identity development, and the experiment was actually um, used in a footnote in the Brown v. Board of Education Supreme Court case, so it just is timely to do it during Black History Month. So before I get into the experiment, I want to kind of intro in who Mamie Phipps-Clark is and uh, kind of how she came to this work about racial identity development in black children. And I, I'm talking more about Mamie Phipps-Clark because as a woman and a feminist, I think it's important to support and highlight women in the field. Um, and I actually did a, a project on her in graduate school. So I don't know as much about Kenneth, but I know that this doll study was really kind of came out of a lot of Mamie's work um, more so than Kenneth's work. They they kind of had some divergence in, in their work. So I think it's important to highlight her contributions to the study um, and then also talk about the way that the study has influenced the field. So without further ado, I'm going to give you a kind of a brief overview of Mamie Phipps Clark. So she was born in Uh, Arkansas, to a doctor father and a stay-at-home mother. She grew up during the Depression in the Deep South and so grew up going to segregated schools. And that was a really formative experience for her where she really started to see that segregation had an impact on her and so probably had an impact on um, other people as well. Although she reports having a relatively overall good childhood and enjoying the place in which she grew up. But acknowledge that segregation did impact her childhood. Um, When she was getting ready to go to college, she got scholarships to go to Howard University, which is a historically black college or an HBCU. Um, She started out as a math and physics major and was, uh, I I believe her original intention was to become like a math or science teacher. Um, But then she met Kenneth at Howard, who uh, was studying psychology, and they fell madly in love and ended up eloping. Um, And he encouraged her to go into psychology and kind of helped support um, that, that shift for her. So after she finished her bachelor's at Howard, she started preparing for... Graduate school. Um, She she got her master's at Howard actually in psychology, and then started to prepare to get her Ph.D. So, both she and Kenneth applied to Columbia University in the psychology Ph.D. program. And her husband Kenneth actually became the first black person to go to Columbia for a Ph.D. And Mamie became the first black woman to go to Columbia for a Ph.D. in psychology. So, really pioneers of their time forging their way into a system that was not very welcoming to um, who they were as people and their racial identities. Um, So she, when she applied, she applied to work with a faculty member who, for her dissertation chair, who didn't believe that race was a big deal. And didn't want to think about race. And obviously was a white person. Um, and so she specifically chose to work with that person. Because she knew it would challenge her work. To be to have to like get someone who doesn't believe that race matters. Or that segregation matters. It, it would really challenge her. And make her arguments stronger. If she had to convince her dissertation advisor um, about these things. So she uh, made that very intentional choice. And ended up writing a dissertation on I believe the title was called The Development of Consciousness of Self in Negro Preschool Children. So she had kind of, since her switching over to psychology, kind of made this her um, area of interest, which was identity development in um, uh, black children, particularly those who were in the kind of early stages of school age. So then she does her infamous doll study, which I will get into later um and after the the study was published she and her husband were test called to testify as expert witnesses in many school desegregation cases and their like i mentioned before their study was used to support um thurgood marshall's argument in his opinion on the brown v board of education um supreme court case and he actually cited their their source their study in a footnote which is cool, like, I don't think a lot of psychological research gets cited in Supreme Court cases, specifically not, like, in the 50s and 60s, so that is very, very cool. Um, After she graduated uh, with her PhD and was kind of on her own, she had trouble finding work, so she kind of jumped around for a little bit. She worked at the American Public Health Association for a little bit, where she, um, looked at data on uh, American nurses and she was the only black person and the only person with a PhD to work in that environment at the time. Um, Then she jumped over to the United States Armed Forces Institute as a research psychologist. And I don't think I mentioned this before, but uh, Mamie Phipps Clark was a social psychologist. So her work was not on necessarily providing clinical services. It was more like research and teaching base. So that's why she, did a lot of these kind of research positions. Um, after she worked in for the Armed Forces Institute, she moved to a place called the Riverdale Home for Children, where she provided psychological assessment assessment for um, Black girls who were unhoused, so did, were kind of living either in shelters or on the streets. And she realized that as she was providing this psychological assessment for them that they weren't getting a whole lot of other services, and the population at large was pretty underserved. So she and Kenneth started doing these assessments for free, and they would offer them to children who needed assessments to get things like accommodations or get benefits, and so she she and Kenneth both did that work. And as they were working on that stuff, this kind of became her main area where she wanted to work, and she wanted to provide services to communities that she felt related to or felt that needed more services. So she wanted to kind of go around to these different community agencies and offer her assessment skills. She got a lot of pushback from these agencies. Uh, I think at this time, psychological testing was also um, not really ag- like liked <laughs> um, or it was kind of seen as like confusing or what's the purpose. And The purpose for Mamie and Clark or Kenneth was that they wanted to provide IQ tests so that they could fight back when black children were enrolled in remedial classes. Because a lot of the kind of racist beliefs at the time were that black children and black people in general had much lower IQs. So black children in school, particularly in desegregated schools, would get enrolled in what we would now call like special education classes or, like, lower-level classes without any assessment, right? Just the assumption that they're not as bright as white children. And so she would provide these assessments so that they could say, hey, we have definitive proof that this child has normal or above-average intellectual functioning and should not be enrolled in a special education class They should be given the same opportunities as the white children who have similar IQs. So she, she did a lot of that work. And so through Doing that work and and realizing that these community agencies, like, weren't super happy with her, she essentially started her own, which she called the Northside Center for Child Development. And this was, like, right in the middle of Harlem. She uh, did this, and she wanted it to be a place where black people were the service providers instead of being in these social service spaces that were dominated by white people patronizing to the black community and neighborhood that they lived in. So this was not only was she starting it to serve the community, but also to like employ the community and provide resources that were actually accessible to the neighborhoods and the people who lived in Harlem. Her kind of primary beliefs were that children should be served by multiracial and interdisciplinary teams. And so it shouldn't just be about going to uh, you know, the white clinic down the street where everybody is white and everybody is like a social worker, like that children really benefited from having everybody working together. She also believed that there shouldn't be a hierarchy within her Northside center. Um, so she wanted it to be like they made decisions together and it wasn't like she was the big boss and did everything, but that people should should work together to make decisions. She also really believed that the inside of the building should be really warm and inviting and not look like a doctor's office or a government building. Because I don't know about you, but if you've ever been to some of these like public mental health, Uh, clinics or like public health clinics, they don't look great inside. And she said, my center needs to look like people actually want to spend time here. Um, She always thought that the center should keep revising treatment modalities to best serve the children of the community and not just do what they used to do because that's how they always done it, but to keep innovating and providing new options. And she really pioneered a strengths-based and holistic approach Which was so counter to thinking at the time. Like psychology in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, particularly like mainstream psychology, was really uh, weakness based or abnormality based, where it was all about pathologizing and curing. And the positive psychology movement didn't really get started until probably like the late 60s, 70s. So the fact that Mamie Phipps Clark was strengths based and more holistic in her approach. In the 40s and 50s is super cool and way ahead of her time. Um, So that's, I know that's not a super quick summary, (laughs) it's like a 10 minute summary, but this this woman did a lot for the field um, and did a lot for her communities, both through research and through running programs that benefited the community. So I think it's important to kind of understand the work that she did. Um, And I think after I describe the study to you, you'll see how her work on that research about racial identity informed the rest of her career as well. So now that we know who Mamie Phillips Clark is, let's go back to what the study was. So the infamous doll study was a way to measure racial identification development, specifically in Black children. So all the children involved in the first round of the study were Black. The premise of the study was that they were going to show the children in the study four dolls, so two of the dolls were brown with black hair and two of the dolls were white with blonde hair. And they were baby dolls that were dressed only in diapers so that as much of the skin of the baby doll was visible as possible. And so, uh, and, and this study was conducted by both Mamie Phipps Clark and her husband, Kenneth Bancroft Clark. They worked together on this. So they recruited 253 black children in total between the ages of three and seven with a pretty equal mix of both boys and girls and they recruited from both the north part of the country and the south. So they wanted to compare not only across gender, age, but from location. So two groups of they they made two groups of kids out of the 253 total. And one group was shown the four dolls lined up with a white doll first, black doll, white doll, black doll. The other group was shown the dolls in the opposite order. So first a black doll, white, black, white. Then they asked the kids eight or gave the kids eight requests um, to pick up a doll and hand it to the interviewer. And so these are those eight requests. One, give me the doll that you like to play with. Two, give me the doll that is a nice doll. Three, give me the doll that looks bad. Four, give me the doll that is a nice color. five. Give me the doll that looks like a white child six give me the doll that looks like a colored child seven give me the doll that looks like a negro child eight give me the doll that looks like you and so those questions or requests were, were pretty specific and they uh, wanted to first look at just like preference so what doll would the kids want to actually play with then they moved into Kind of this racial identity awareness. So, are the children aware of like the differences between a white child and a well, we would say child of color, but at the time they used the language colored child and Negro child. Um, and then the last question, the doll that looks like you, was about how the children actually identified themselves, which like race did they identify with when when seeing the visuals of the doll. So, after conducting the study, the results that they uh, found were that children were pretty aware of racial differences. They seemed to know there was a difference between the white child and the black child doll. Um, and they connected those to the skin color. So they were, they were aware that these like larger racial constructs are explicitly tied to skin color. And the majority of the children preferred to play with the white doll and considered the white doll to be nice. So when the interviewer would ask, give me the doll that is nice, they would hand the interviewer the white one. And when asked, give me the doll that looks bad, they would hand the interviewer the black doll. An additional result that they found is that 33% of the children picked the white doll when asked which doll looks like them. And remember that the study was done with all black children. So about a third of the black children picked a white doll and self-identified with the white doll. And they, they also noticed that the children who were lighter skinned, so black but lighter skinned, preferred the white doll over the black doll, while that difference was less pronounced in the darker skinned black children. So I think this is also, I don't know if it's the first, but it is a pretty early piece of evidence to, of like, empirical evidence to show um, the kind of colorism that exists in different racial communities, or, I mean, in America. And so, essentially, the conclusion that came out of the study was that children, particularly black children, are taught through school and culture and, you know, all of those wonderful and invisible forces that, like, shape our our social awareness are taught that black children are associated with certain characteristics, like being bad, um, and that there is a pressure to identify with whiteness particularly for lighter-skinned children. Um, there were some interesting differences in the, in the original study between the Northern and Southern kids, and it seemed like the Northern kids actually had a lot more um, apprehension or distaste for the black dolls, while as the Southern children um, like di- didn't have that much. The, the difference there wasn't as strong with the southern children and so that could suggest that children black children who live in the north may not always be in predominantly black neighborhoods like they may be the only black kid in their class and so there is a kind of social pressure and messaging about whiteness that they are receiving without having other members of their own racial group there to provide a balance And so it's like important that when we're desegregating schools, that it's not just like you send one black kid to the white school, but that like there isn't a kind of more of an equal mixture of the groups in these schools so that both sets of children are getting exposure to each other to continue to develop their identities um, with multiple examples of what that identity can look like. And I think this study is super interesting to highlight because the the article was published in 1947, so we can conclude that the study was probably done within the years, few years before that, so like 1945-46. And if you've been listening to my other experiment many episodes you'll know that in the 1940s we did not have IRB set up, right? We did not have protections for participants, particularly like child research participants, and that some of these studies that were done before the 1970s, before the IRBs were put in place, are a little wild, right? Like, listen to the Milgram episode or the Stanford Prison Experiment episode, and you'll see that, like, study participants were, like, traumatized by the experiments that they were put through. And while the original study does cite that there were, like, at least two children who became really overwhelmed during the study and ran out of the room crying, the majority of the children were... Okay, <laughs> they were fine. They were just playing. There was nothing that was done to them that was deceptive. There was no um like weird experimental conditions that would have caused them to flip out or think that they were killing someone like in milgram's um the The researchers were not over involved in the study like Zimbardo was in the Stanford prison experiment like even for a study that was conducted in the nineteen forties like it's a pretty solid study. And that is proven by the fact that people have replicated this study like almost exactly in this way hundreds of times, like lit- literally probably hundreds of times. You can go on YouTube and look up doll study videos and see people recreating this. They don't always do them with the baby dolls anymore. Sometimes they do them with like a, uh, it'll be like a picture of children. And instead of being just white and black, it's like a kind of spectrum of skin colors from darkest to lightest um but you you can look at these videos of people doing it and there are plenty of articles written about it as well um so it's like clearly a solid study and if it can be approved by irbs of the modern era then it was definitely like far beyond (laughs) what the studies of the 40s were doing and so i really i think it's important to also highlight this study because you know on one hand it's good to show examples of psychological research that's done well, right? It's not all just that psychological research is like psychologically torturing people or (laughs) deceiving them or like in the case of the Stanford Prison Experiment, just something that was done with absolutely no important conclusions gotten out of it. It was just like done for, not for fun, but for like the ego of the researcher. So I show this study to say like not all psychological research is horrible or, or poorly thought out. Um, and I think it's also important to demonstrate that at this time, Mamie Phipps-Clark and Kenneth Bancroft-Clark were the first Black people to get graduate degrees out of Columbia University. Like, they were really trailblazers and pioneers. And the fact that so much was stacked against them, like, the advisor who was overseeing Mamie's work on this study... Didn't believe in racial identity and was a a white man who thought that the work she was doing was unimportant. And she she was able to design and implement a really well done study, a huge sample size, two hundred fifty three children. That's amazing. Like, the last one I did was on Little Albert, which was a sample size of one child, (laughs) and then the researchers like gave up. The fact that the Clarks were able to recruit two hundred fifty three children with like pretty good distribution in terms of gender and location and and age and they were very intentional in how they recruited like it's just overall a really well set up study and you know on one hand i think we can kind of mourn the fact that historically black psychologists have had to like overperform and go above and beyond to just even be accepted into spaces like ivy league schools and so we can see this study as an example of the Clarks having to be very intentional and careful in their work so that they're not ostracized from a community of academics that don't believe in what they work on. Um, but on the other hand, we can also see this is truly an example of like black excellence, and that while there were much more famous researchers doing work in the times that the Clarks were doing, they were doing sloppy work. <laughs> Again, the Little Albert is one of the sloppiest studies that I've ever covered on the show, and in contrast, the doll study is really well done. I mean, there's always areas to improve research studies, and there are definitely like more controls that they could have put in place. Um, like they could have done a group of children who only saw uh, black dolls or a group of children who only saw white dolls. Um, obviously, there's things that can be done to to strengthen any research study, but Overall, this is, like, a really well-done study, really well-designed, and nobody got severely traumatized by participating in the doll study to the point where people are still conducting versions of it to this day. So, I, I just really want to, like, be intentional in pointing that out, not only because it's Black History Month, but just because it can be really easy in, in these episodes where I look at these old experiments to talk about like, oh, people were crazy and just doing the weirdest stuff, Um, but that's not always true. And there have been people who've been working really hard in the field throughout the history of it, um, even against really great odds, like being the only black people in a university or an academic setting where everyone is pretty much set against them. So just like in conclusion, kind of the impacts of of this study on the field was that it really set up a a way for the field to talk about the impact of segregation on racial identity development and like i said has been recreated numerous time times has continued to show very similar impacts. so just like strengthens the kind of conclusions that the clarks made um when coming out of it and like truly has had an impact on American politics and that these results were used in other desegregation cases and were in some, in a small part, not a huge part, but in a small part were part of the arguments in Brown v. Board of Education that resulted in schools being mandated to desegregate and allow black and white children to attend the same school. So out of all the studies I've covered so far, like that's a pretty significant impact, not only on the field of psychology, but also on our culture um, and our political world as a whole. And like I mentioned before, you know, Mamie Phipps-Clark then went on to kind of dedicate her whole career to serving children who get left out of systems like the school system in the wake of um, desegregating and her work in Harlem and at the Northside Clinic that she started really did, I think, fill in some of those gaps um, for the neighborhoods where, yes, the doors had been opened for them to go to white schools, but they were still being treated differently and poorly uh, by being forced into remedial classes or ass- assumptions made about the intelligence of black children. And so her work really. I think was very important in continuing to advocate for those children and show that black children are not any different than white children in terms of academic performance and that when they're treated like they're dumber then they perform worse so give all the children the same benefit of the doubt um, when putting them in the education system so overall i think the doll study is a pretty solid example of a like well-designed, well-planned-out experiment um, shows how the field has really changed in the way that they talk about racial identity development. I will say in the 1940s, if you were looking through journals to find research on racial identity development, there was not going to be a whole lot of it. And now it is a really important part of the field, and there are people who Specialize their whole careers on working on racial identity development research or theoretical models. Um, and so I think that uh, a lot of the work that has been done in more modern times really does owe a lot of itself to the work that Mamie Phipps-Clark and Kenneth Bancroft-Clark did with things like the doll study um, and their their work in, in the community as well. So I think it's a really important study to highlight. I would recommend looking up YouTube videos of it if you want to kind of see what it looks like. Um, it can be a little sad <laughs> to to see the black children saying that the black doll is the bad one. Um, and some of the more qualitative data will show kids saying things like, he's bad because he's dirty. Um, he's bad because he looks like me. And some just like really kind of painful stuff. So, you know, don't, don't watch it if, if that's going to be too hard for you, but I think it's interesting to see how this works for children. Um and also has a lot to say about like the way that we make toys, right? Like the the types of black baby dolls that were available in the 40s were not the nice dolls that we have now. So um that's just additional information if you want to if you want to kind of see what it looks like. Um, There are tons of videos on YouTube that show the study done over different times in history. So, with that, I will just say thank you for listening to the whole episode. I always appreciate it, and I will see you in the next one. Bye-bye!